Hi, everyone. I'm replaying this podcast with Denise Archer as she discusses the reality of living with breast cancer and all the physical, emotional and mental challenges she lives with every day. Tina, Raquel and Eleanor have also shared how they live with post-breast cancer treatments and surgeries. As Denise has written in her latest Instagram post, 30% of all survivors will die from this disease because it will return in one, five or 20 years later. So as she says, that's 42,000 breast cancer deaths every year in the United States alone. As she also says in her latest Instagram post, cancer treatments cause lymphedema and the compression arm sleeve that they wear is a great reminder of their cancer survival. So I'm replaying this podcast because I think it's an important one to put on at the moment. And thank you, Denise, for being on the podcast again. Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris or Velosos, and today is So Over 50 Thursday. Now grab a cuppa and relax with us. So Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back to So Over 50 Thursday on So Organised Style Podcast. Today is the first part of our breast cancer podcast for So Over 50. Denise Archer came back to talk with us about sewing for a chest with no breasts, but we focused on the very graphic details of her cancer treatments and post-cancer reality. Please skip this podcast as the depth of Denise's cancer details may upset you. Now, this podcast is not medical advice. If you want information about breast cancer treatments or post-surgery choices, contact your oncologist or go to the breast cancer organisations in your country. Part two of this breast cancer series features Tina Bricolage DK talking about her breast cancer experience, her decisions to keep one breast and the pattern choices she now uses to live her best life. So let's get back to part one of this breast cancer podcast for Sale Over 50. Welcome back, Denise. Hi, Maria. It's so great to be back. Thank you for coming back again. Well, thank you for inviting me. On your first podcast with us, you did talk about sewing for a chest with no breasts. So my first question to you is, had you always sewn lingerie before? No, I never have. I mean, I did underwear and swimsuits, but I'd never sewn a bra and my intent was to make a bra and then I got breast cancer. So I never got the chance. Let me just set some expectations for this interview. I think that's really important because we are discussing cancer. And so inevitably we're going to discuss body and body function. Yeah, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable at all asking me questions. Just go ahead and ask them however you want. Just be as direct as you want. That's fine. Because I'm going to be really direct and honest. Okay. Yeah, this is a great time for learning. But it also depends too, Maria, you know, if this is a a family-friendly podcast or if it's going to be an adults-only listening, listening experience. So, cause I, I can go deep in, which a lot of women don't know everything about what happens because it's glossed over. Okay. So Denise, give us the background about how you found that you had breast cancer and then what you had to do next. Okay. So my husband is the one who discovered the lump in my breasts. 
it was just a spouse thing. You know, he just grabbed my breasts like spouses like to do. And he just asked, well, what, what is this? And I kept telling him, no, just forget it. Just, I'm, I was trying to go to sleep. I was like, no, just leave me alone. And he's like, no, what is this? Um, and then that's when I, I touched my breast and I, I felt a golf ball in there. And it stunned me because I had been feeling my breasts in the shower even like a few weeks before, because one of my friends had just been diagnosed with breast cancer and my breasts are very dense. And so that's always, that was always an issue. Whenever I would get mammograms, they would always say, you know, your breasts are very dense. So we don't know if we can catch everything, but we just need to let you know that. But it was just when I was laying down, which is a really great way to actually feel your breasts is to lay down on the bed and raise up your arm and then feel that breast and feel into the armpits too because breast cancer can be in the armpits. And yeah, so then of course I had to go through chemo and day-to-day chemo is, is basically like uh, you're, you're drinking water all the time because if you don't, you can burn your bladder. And they say that that looks like coffee grounds in the toilet. So just be aware of that. So you're constantly drinking water because you're very fearful of that. You don't want to burn your bladder. You have to brush your teeth after any kind of food in your mouth all day long because of the risk of mouth sores, which most people inevitably do get. And I definitely got them. And I, I was being very careful about brushing and keeping my mouth clean. You have to rinse your mouth out and gargle a lot, but I still got them. And you, you can't, <laughs> I couldn't even talk. I mean, it was just like flat mouth, like <laughs> until uh, I got some medication that was FedEx to me that really helped with the, each sore in my mouth. You can't, have any cuts or nicks to the skin, or you can't bite your mouth or anything like that, because that's just a, an entryway for bacteria. And since chemo kills your white blood cells as well, you know, you can get everything. I'll just go through the list. There's so many side effects because most people just think of the stereotypical, I've said this before, the, the bald and vomiting woman. And that's all people understand because that's all that's really shared because, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain everything because there's so much that goes on with your body when you're in active chemo treatment. I tend to describe it as, have you ever seen Stranger Things? It is very, very similar to that. Chemo is like the upside down. So you have the regular daily world and then you have the upside down and that's what chemo is. I developed neutropenia, which is just loss of white blood cells, really, really bad. So you kind of have to stay quarantined at home. I mean, this quarantine is very similar. So I've been through this before. And with my son born prematurely, we had to quarantine for that too. This is like my third time (laughs) quarantining. You get a lot of nausea and a lot of people understand that, but it feels like liquid mercury sloshing around in your stomach. I didn't vomit. That was not my thing. That was not the way my body reacted. You're nauseous all the time. You, you have a loss of taste. So French fries tasted like chalk. I got my taste back after, you know, five months. And that's when everything was very intense. Like chips were way too salty. Cookies were way too sweet. Fatigue, you know, I napped twice a day and there was constant vibration in my body that you just can't turn off. Weepy bloodshot eyes. It's very difficult to focus. You kind of lose a little bit of your eyesight and that I haven't gotten back. Constant runny nose. There's neuropathy that happens. People have talked about that where there's certain chemo medications that will actually numb your fingers and your toes. And if that happens, it's permanent. So it's, it's very fearful as somebody who's a maker. It's like the last thing you want is to get neuropathy in your fingers where you can't 
you're just stumbling around trying to feel things and you can't. I felt little sparks on the tips of my fingers after certain infusions, but that's as far as it went. And so I didn't get any permanent damage because treatment plans can meander. You know, I I had to have a hysterectomy and oophorectomy. I think a week after I was diagnosed with breast cancer, just because they thought they saw something down in my ovaries and that was the only way to deal with it. So during my chemo treatment, because I'd had that surgery, I was wearing panty liners for three months during my chemo treatment because of all the spotting out of my vagina from the surgery because chemo kills the cells and uh, doesn't allow you to heal as quickly as you want. So you have very thin, sensitive skin, you break out, you cut and bruise and blister easily, you have to avoid the sun. My inner ears were scabbed from earplugs. I would wake up occasionally to see blood on the sheets and pillowcases just from random nicks. And I had to be very careful about that. You know, my mouth sores, I had that and they go down the throat too, because chemotherapy affects everything from your mouth out to your back end. Anal fissures are a really common side effect as well. And that's very painful. And I had that happen six different times because it's just everything. The anus is very tender because the skin is very tender. So you have to be careful about what you're eating and granola, just avoid granola. That's all I have to say. Just avoid granola. If you ever have to go through chemo, just don't do that or nuts, please. And I'm saving you there. Fingernails become purple and they detach from the beds. So, you know, there's, there's a period of time where you can't even peel an orange or open a box of crackers or anything like that. Mm -hmm. They ache when you even squeeze like a sponge and they crumbled when I would cut them because my white cell blood count was so low. You know, you just, boom, you get a bloody nose really quickly. You know, I just got a wart. I had a sty in my eye. I mean, just random little things just catch. My skin was tanned and yellowed from chemicals. My blood pressure was 60 over 40 and my veins were completely cratered. My body temperature was one degree cooler. So I was wearing wool sweaters and scarves during the summer. I'd have three to four nights of complete prolific night sweats after an infusion. And the smell is very chemical. It's very fishy and tinny for me, it was. So I smelled like a stale tuna fish can on my breath. Every time I flossed, I smelled that. The oozing from a blister even. My pillow, my clothes after sweating, everything smelled like that. Because you're hairless and it's everywhere. You don't think about that debris gets in your eyes really easily. You're very clammy and you feel amphibian. You have a lot of body heat loss drippy nose because your hair can't catch it because you have no nose hair. Your eyes stick together when you blink. You can also have a risk of heart damage, which didn't happen to me, but my heartbeat was so low because the blood pressure was so low. I didn't actually hear it or feel it until after chemo. And then it just was very loud to me afterwards. So there's a lot of things that can happen. And then afterwards, and that's just during the active treatment, that's not even surgeries and that's not radiation. I didn't have to do radiation. You know, afterwards, there's a lot of post issues too that people don't share. You know, I'm four years cancer free, but I still feel like, and that's from after the active treatment of a year of active, and then four years after that, I still feel like I'm still in it because, you know, I, I probably have one more surgery left, but there is no cure. So you're left with that. So in breast cancer, the way breast cancer works and every cancer is different. So, but what I can say about breast cancer is that And this, what I did not know is that it can return one, three, five, 15, 20 years later as stage four and 30% of all breast cancer survivors will have their breast cancer return as stage four. 
So if you think of a fluffy dandelion full of seeds and then you blow on it, and those seeds are kind of like the rogue breast cancer cells that you don't know if it's happened to you or not, because they like to travel through the lymph nodes and then they'll just kind of go wherever they want to in the body. And that's where they'll settle and they'll just be quiet until they wake up. So rogue breast cancer cells like to settle in the brain, the lungs, the bones, and the liver, although they'll go anywhere, but those are the main places. And so if you are diagnosed with stage four, your average life expectancy is three years and it's two years if it's in the brain. And so it's the breast cancer that has actually settled into the brain. The breast cancer has actually settled into the lungs or the bones or the liver. So it's not bone cancer. It's not brain cancer. It's not lung cancer. No. Yeah. It's breast cancer in those different areas. So it makes it harder to treat. Every cancer is different, but you know, once breast cancer gets out of the breast, it's much more difficult. You're slowing the death. 8.7. And this is 2015 stats, but 8.7 million people worldwide. And this is mostly women die from breast cancer every single year. I don't know what has happened that that statistic isn't necessarily widely shared. That is eight, it's almost 9 million people, mostly women who die every single year from this disease. And, you know, there's five general types of breast cancer and only one of them actually gets stamped cured. And that's triple negative uh, breast cancer. And that's the kind that I had. And so after 10 years, if it doesn't come back for me, then they'll say, well, you're cured. It will never come back for you. But my other friends who have the other different kinds of breast cancer, they are forever waiting and just knowing that it could come back even, you know, 25 years down the road. We just basically, you just wait and you, you call your oncologist. If you have a pain in your body that lasts longer than two weeks, and that's kind of what you're left with. And, you know, just any other things that happen afterwards is, you know, I'll, I'll just share, you know, sex is completely different because everyone's in menopause suddenly, everyone. And it's either chemical because if, you're, if your breast cancer is the one that feeds off estrogen, you know, they're, they're just cutting out all of your estrogen. So that's chemical and you have to be on those drugs for sometimes, you know, 15 years, just depending on your age, sometimes five, but chemo also induces a menopause and, or they just remove everything because they think that it might have gone into your ovaries. And that, that's what happened to me. If you're young, what they do immediately is they ask if you want to, if you plan to have children, cause they'll harvest your eggs. That's yeah. the first thing your eggs get harvested. Yeah. You still might not be able to carry a baby because pregnancy can trigger breast cancer as well. So even though your eggs are harvested, you know, there's still a risk of getting pregnant. And so people have to emotionally deal with their infertility but sex is because everything's very dry there because of menopause. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. So I just tell everybody, I'm like, you know, I don't need to know what you do in the bedroom. I don't care what you do in the bedroom, but you're going to just want to use a lot of lube. <laughs> That's, all I, That's all I have to say about that. So, you know, I mean, there's a, with chemo, there's weight loss, but there's a lot of weight gain too. There's a lot of weight gain because you are taking steroids, like a lot of steroids a lot of the time. And that's a good thing. Actually, it's a better thing than being emaciated because when you get weak, you become the weak, the weak one. And you, yeah, you got to get strong. So yeah, your body is in constant fluctuation with weight, like, you know, losing weight, gaining weight. Uh, and the menopause makes you gain weight in different areas. You know, for me, because everything was removed, I kind of surfed over all the perimenopause stuff. So I've never had a hot flash. I did kind of have some rages though, that was shocking to me. 
where I'd get really angry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was with steroids or what, but I, I know that uh, sometimes you can, that can happen. You're bombarded with everything. Yeah, you're bombarded with everything. And just the question of how long are you going to actually live, you know, and will this return? And so there's a lot of PTSD that happens with that too. And because you end up seeking out other people who have breast cancer and you all find each other and you become this cohort and then people in that cohort have their breast cancer return to stage four. And so then you're also having to deal with accepting that, oh crap, you know, I'm in this spot. This person is now dying got to be supportive of that person and be present for that person while still not feeling comfortable being present for your own mortality and wanting just to kind of move on just for a little bit. It's a little hard. And then the, the survivor's guilt of the relief that you feel that you're not in that person's position while watching Mm. their world change completely and having them to deal with their spouses and their children. It's just, it turns you inside out. And then, you know, the doctors will tell you, this is the one thing that you have to do is they'll all say you have to lose weight. But then, you know, a lot of people are on these uh, medications that make you gain weight and menopause makes you gain weight. And the reason why people say that you have to lose weight is because breast cancer does feed off of hormones. Certain breast cancers do and body fat stores hormones. However, Mm. there are studies that demonstrate that regardless of your weight, if you exercise, for 30 minutes a day, five to six times a week, you get far more benefits, anti-cancer benefits from that than you do from losing weight. So if anybody ever tells you, if a doctor ever says, well, you have to lose weight, you know, you can also say, well, what about the other option of just exercising? And I, I that can also look very different for different people, you know, it just depends on what your bodies are able to do. But if you can somehow get sweaty five to six times a week with whatever you can do. If it's just even moving your arms or I don't know, different ways that you can move (laughs) your body, then you're doing pretty good. At the gym in the morning, there are a lot of women, my age and older, Mm -hmm. and they're there every single morning, seven days a week. And they go there. And even if it's just to get on the bike, they do that. Yeah. And they're there for each other. And I don't know their backgrounds, but you smile, you say hi, and you're just supportive. Yeah. But it's, yeah, they do more than their 30 minutes a day and they're doing really well. Well, that's great. That, yeah. It helps. And you know, what, what's really strange is they don't know what it is. They don't know why exercise helps so much, why it has so many anti-cancer benefits. They don't understand that. The scientists are trying to, trying to figure it out because that would be a great anti-cancer pill, you know, but they, they don't know what it is, but they just know that that's what happens. And so, okay, so you're dealing with all that. You're dealing with some friends that are starting to die and are stage four. You're holding your breath, feeling survivor's guilt because you feel relief that you're not in that position while also having an extreme amount of empathy for what's going on with your friends. But then you also have to do your uh, choices post-treatment, you know, and with your weight gain and your your body changes and stuff like that. And I, I call it the, the list of shitty options. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like, what, what are you going to decide to do? Are you going to go flat? Are you going to be a uni, which uh, they call themselves unicorn? You know, are you going to just have the one breast and remove the cancerous one? Are you going to have silicone reconstruction? Or are you going to do the deep recon, which is the most intense surgery of all of them? Uh, you know, are you going to get just a lumpectomy? And there's pros and cons with every single choice. What I made was I thought that reconstruction with just the silicone would be easy because it's a much easier surgery. I call it the deep, but I don't know if it's called DIEP, D-I-E-P. 
But that reconstruction is pretty intense, but the outcomes, people feel better about it. There are quite a few stages to it as well. Yeah, well, okay. So I can tell you, in my group of breast cancer friends, we've done all of them. (laughs) We all have experienced every single different kind of surgery. My friend who has the deep, it's intense. So what they do is they either take a chunk of your stomach, your butt, or your back, and they create breasts out of that. For me, because of the way my brain works, I would have just kept thinking, I've got my butt living on my chest. I, you know, and it was being like, get it off. It wouldn't have worked for me. But my friends who have it are happy with it. But it's a very intense surgery. You're under for like eight to 12 hours and they're taking off that part of your belly or your butt or your back. And they're having to connect all the different blood vessels to your chest Wow! to make this living tissue there. The complications can be big. But most people don't have complications, but the big ones can be that I know somebody where they didn't connect all the blood vessels. So pints of blood were going into her body. And then she had to have another 12 hour surgery the day after just having had Mm -hmm. the surgery to make sure that that was all good. But you can also have one of them die on your chest. So I know somebody who had one that lived and then the other one that died. So then she had to have silicone in that one. Although apparently you can also do another deep on the dead one and do another body part on your chest for that part. They're much softer than the silicone reconstruction and they're natural tissue. You can get a cleavage, which is nice, but you also have to wear a bra. And regular bras don't fit because they're kind of like a cube, but they don't look like a cube with the bra on, but they're kind of like, yeah, this cubish look to them. Most people, it's okay. It all works out. You'd use your belly, you know, you have a whole new belly button. They create a belly button for you. (laughs) Having said all that, I decided to go with the silicone reconstruction because that's just where you put the expanders underneath the muscles of your chest. And then you slowly fill it up. So like a balloon, it's like, ooh, you just kind of grow and you stretch out those muscles and then you take out the expanders and put in the silicone implants, which feel very soft after the expanders, which have metallic and plastic in them and stuff. So it doesn't, they don't feel comfortable in at all. So it feels good at first, but they're hard. You don't get a cleavage. They just stick out like they are, but you don't have to wear a bra. You know, I could go running with just a tank top, no big deal. And I've got to say, there's a lot of freedom in not having to wear something very constrictive around your rib cage. I had no idea. That was the bonus out of this. You can also have complications with implants. And I I chose to go flat, but there's complications with that because, because of all the biases around women and going flat, plastic surgeons have a hard time understanding that. So my complication was my initial plastic surgeon. I think she tried to leave a little bit of extra skin as a contour. So it just kind of looked like I was contoured a little bit. So there was a little bit of a, you know, it doesn't work that way. The skin just fell and it just looked horrible. It was just all this, just this flaps. So I had to go under again to get that revised by a plastic surgeon who did uh, top surgeries for the trans and non-binary population. It's very frustrating to the breast cancer community and to women. You know, I see 
the trans and non-binary populations is having these amazing outcomes with their top surgeries. They have beautiful surgeries. They've had beautiful surgeries for a long time. And the breast cancer community for women, still, you don't necessarily get that outcome. And it's just because the plastic surgeons don't know that that's what women want. When you want flat, you just kind of want just a smooth chest. So they've had to organize and uh, it's, it's going well. Yeah, the word is getting That's out. Yeah. 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 I mean, how sewing plays a role into all of that is... Uh, That's where we're coming to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you have all of that. There's so much that you've gone through. So that by the time someone gets to the point where they've got the chest that they want to sew for, that used to have breasts, I mean, you can't, you can't discount what they've gone through. But let's get to what it is that you're doing now. Yeah, this is a loaded interview, Maria. It's like, these are loaded questions. I had to do all that, the preamble first of just to get to these questions. Yeah. But Denise, I've tried to talk to women who have gone through what you've gone through and they're at the other end. And I always uh, will ask them, do you, do you know, do you want to talk about that? And they're like, no, I don't want to go back down that path. And I understand. And I never ask, I never query any further. Yeah. And so I really appreciate the fact that you've gone through and talked us through every single thing that could happen. And now I understand why friends of mine who have been down that path don't want to talk about it anymore. And I appreciate the fact that you've gone through that for us. So thank you. Well, you're very welcome. I don't mind sharing that if it brings some education to it, because every month in October... There's just like, yay, you know, the survivors, but it's like, uh, you know, 30% of them are still going to go stage four and Mm -hmm. they are going to be preparing for their death. And yeah, there's a lot of information that's helpful to have because a lot of women and some men will get breast cancer. Yeah. So how sewing plays a role into all of this, you know, well, a lot of us are, we're still stunned and there's still a lot of PTSD for some people and our bodies are, all those changes happen so abruptly. And so a lot of our brains still need to catch up the post mastectomy. I had phantom boobs for a while. I had a phantom cancer for a while. I still have phantom nipples (laughs) and I don't think that'll ever go away because a lot of people talk about that. And I have phantom nipples whenever I think about nursing my son and whenever it's cold, I feel my nipples. Sewing has been really great in that it has helped me to compartmentalize everything. It's both connected and disconnected me to my body. So it's been a lifesaver in so many ways. I've been able to step away and observe my body as a garment when necessary. And that's been really nice. It is very emotional for people, all these different surgeries. And my main goal right now is just to make my body feel comfortable because for so many years, it felt so uncomfortable. And even now I feel like I am in my house but I'm still wearing a bra because this last surgery, which was great. It just got rid of all the loose skin. It also pushed my fat up into my armpits because of the way that the skin needed to be pulled. So it literally feels like I'm wearing a bra on the sides of my body. And in the the way the fat folds underneath there. Even my son was hugging me. And from the back, you know, you can feel these bumps and he was like, Ooh, does that feel comfortable? Like he could feel it. And I was like, no, not really. You know, it means having another surgery. I will do it. If I could feel like 95% back to just 
comfort, that's good. I feel like I'm at 90% right now. I would like to be able to take the bra off in my own house. (laughs) Sewing's allowed me to step back and observe my body from a maker's perspective. I know you were curious about lingerie. Yes, that was one of the things. (laughs) Well, when you typically, when you think of lingerie, you know, you think of sexy, however you define that. I do, at least I was bombarded with those advertisements and those images as a child of, you know, a woman either in a bikini laying over a car or, you know, the Victoria's Secrets models. Those typically, those first images that come to mind when you think of lingerie include cleavage and they typically focus on fertility, you know, the narrow waist and the wide hips. And everybody who goes through breast cancer, doesn't matter what age you are, once you're in menopause, your waist gets thicker. If you've had a mastectomy and have had reconstruction, you're not going to have a cleavage. Even if you have breasts, you, you will not have that cleavage and you will miss, you do miss it. I really did miss it the first couple of years. Like I would see cleavage. I'd be like, oh, I wish I could just have that, but you know, I'm fine with it now. I feel much better flat. <laughs> and if you have the deep surgery, you know, you, you've got Franken scars everywhere. I mean, you've got big scars going across your body everywhere and you can get tattoos for that, but not all women want tattoos. And I understand that. So then you're left with all this scarring. It's like, hmm, okay, do I really want to sit? I don't feel sexy. You know, I, I want to feel sexy, mm. but I don't. And so you just don't really go towards lingerie. There are some breast cancer bras out there. There's two companies, Anna Ono and Make Mary, and they do really soft bras for women post breast cancer. And those fit a lot of different breasts that regular bras don't. I'm still chasing my body, even if it's been four years post-treatment, you'd think that'd be enough time, but I'm still chasing it because I probably will just have that one final surgery. I'm hoping that it's just liposuction just in that area. And it does a really weird mental release where it's like, oh, the bra's off. Well, I hope that happens. Yeah. Then, you know, that relief is something that you can really treasure and feel comfortable again. Yeah. I have some things though laundry related. And it really is about comfort, anything comfortable, because my body has been uncomfortable for so long with each of those implants. I didn't realize how uncomfortable they were. And and then that first flat surgery that didn't work out and just all those folds, it just didn't feel like me. And then radiation burns can make the skin tender for years or a lifetime, just depending. And lymph node removal, which everybody has, at least one lymph node removed, if not more, because it's just part of the surgery. Whichever lymph nodes are activated in fighting the breast cancer, those are the sentinel lymph nodes that are close to the breast. Those ones are removed. So for me, it was six lymph nodes. I could feel it too. Once I realized that I had breast cancer, I could feel, it almost felt like a letdown. Like I, I was nursing and there was a letdown, but I think those are my lymph nodes, like, like just releasing all the the soldiers to try to attack the invasion. Those make your body zing. Like you just random zings that happen. It's like, ow, you know, it's like those lymph nodes, like that side of my body is forever tighter too. Like I have to try to stretch my arms and it's just very tight in that area. But you know, when your, your skin is itchy from all the surgeries and the scar sites and worse, and this happens once you get a mastectomy is that there's itches deep within underneath the muscle and the breast tissue, and you, you can't reach those itches. They just itch. Can I just like create like a zipper there so I can scratch, open and scratch? You know? 
forget about lingerie. Of course, this is going to affect all of your choices in life. So did you then end up rethinking what fabrics you would use, what patterns you felt comfortable wearing now rather than, you know, you, you might have wanted to do A, which was a goal to do, and then by the time you get through surgery, it's like, you know what, forget it. I don't need that anymore. <laughs> this is what I want to do. Yeah. Well, you know, it's been a lot of what everybody's going through now, which is the quarantine where, you know, it was a lot of leggings and loose tops because it was like, you know, what, are my breasts really going to be this way? Like you have the expanders and you go in once a week and they fill them up with 50 cc's of saline and you just watch your breasts kind of boop, just inflate a little more. And then you mm. get to tell them when to stop. So I, I could only do like four of those. And I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. This hurts. And I don't like it. Yeah. So your body is totally changing. And yeah, you don't know where your waist is going to land. It's just like quarantine now where it's just like everybody's just wearing elastic waisted pants and leggings and loose tops and just comfort. So yeah, knits for me was my thing. Just a lot of yeah. knits and just trying to feel comfortable when you're still kind of wounded and healing. Yeah. But I've been wanting to sew corsets. I haven't yet. I, I just keep waiting until it's like, okay, this I'm at 95%. This feels good. I, I just have to wait for this final surgery just to see where my body is finally at. So what I'm thinking is the way your body is at the moment, you haven't thought about doing a corset to just to get the construction, et cetera, and get the feel for the fabric that you might want to use as your first go. I'm very, very close. I, I have corset patterns that I've, I've lined them up and I'm just like, all right, you know, I'm almost there. I, I, I'll get there. I, I do have a lot of other things to sew in the meantime. So I don't feel too bad for yeah. waiting on that. And I will definitely get there. And I'm not even sure right now. I'm thinking, okay, am I going to do it for a flat chest or am I going to add some sort of silhouette that has breasts in there? Because that'd be kind of fun too, just to play around with your silhouette and stuff. I don't know quite yet, but I have done some seam work just recently, you know, Geneva panties. Julia Tank. Oh my gosh, that was so great. Anything that's like a camisole is great to wear. So yeah, I, I want to sew more of that stuff. I did sew some bralettes from Seamwork mm -hmm. and that was weird because the restriction around your rib cage, yeah. it felt very awkward and it didn't feel comfortable. I'll be curious to, to try another bralette just for the heck of it and see. So did you choose particular fabrics? For me, fabric hasn't been much of an issue except for knits. You know, knits was always great just because they moved with a changing body and they felt very comfortable. But uh, as far as like fabrics, even wool is fine for me. But some people like their scars are very sensitive and they'll stay sensitive for life. So that's different. And because I didn't have radiation, I don't have issues with my skin in that area that some people do. Any kind of fabric works for me. I mean, I, I tend to like the natural fabrics more. Anything. I'll, I'll make anything. <laughs> you liked natural fabrics prior to finding the breast cancer. Yeah. I, yeah. Silk. Oh, yeah. Silk has always been my favorite. <laughs> I discovered linen afterwards because I just never made anything with linen. And I was like, what? Where has this been hiding? This is amazing. <laughs> Linen's really nice. I think for the breast cancer community, you know, if you do not need to wear a bra, then you will not wear a bra because that is very restrictive around the rib cage. The fact that you've gone through all of that to have anything around your rib cage 
that's just the area that everything was targeted at. So it doesn't make sense to to want to wear it. Like you would want to wear a bra, but you just couldn't. Yeah, after all the discomfort. And you know, and you're hyper vigilant with your body, like always feeling if there's a swollen lymph node, especially around your neck, your clavicle area. I'm, I'm constantly still feeling like any lymph nodes that are swollen because that means that the breast cancer returned feeling my armpits like, Oh my gosh. Okay. I feel a pain, you know, just, you, you just feel any kind of pain, like joint pains, even, you know, it's like, you know, my elbow is, is really aching and it's been aching for a long time. You know, is this just like the quintessential tennis elbow from overuse or is it the breast cancer that's returned to the bones? So you're, you're constantly thinking that. But as you said, if you have any pain that persists for two weeks, up to two weeks, then you would ring your oncologist straight away. Yeah. And, you know, at my age, pain lasts a long time, lasts longer than two weeks. And I've got to go physical therapy for certain things. I've learned to relax about joint pain, realizing, okay, that's age. That is not breast cancer returning. And my friends who have to take medications for chemical menopause to stop their estrogen, that's one of the side effects is you're very achy for years, you know? So whether it's five years or 15 years or 20 years or whatever, your joints are super creaky and they ache a lot, especially in the morning. That's, but you know, triple negative, since they don't know much about it, they have no kind of medications post treatment for you. So it's only chemotherapy, which also means that it's the highest mortality rate and it's the hardest to control because they don't know much about it. They only know that after 10 years, it's not going to return. So you do get the cure stamp. Basically any kind of breast cancer sucks. I mean, people will say, oh, I've got the good one. The one that's the estrogen positive, but yeah, great. You're going to be thinking about that for the rest of your life, whether it's come back or not. And, you know, and and that's just the way it is. You learn that none of it's good. No, no, not at all. For my process, sewing lingerie wasn't important to me, but it might be for somebody else. I just don't know, you know, maybe that will make them feel sexy again. Cause I think that's the biggest thing is like, especially if you're younger and you're realizing like, God, I can't even have kids now. Not only can I not nurse, I can't have children. That's hard. Some women are able to have a baby post breast cancer. And I know it's a little tenuous and people kind of hold their breath because you know, it's like, oh, will the breast cancer come back? And some will be able to nurse if they've saved a breast, the unis can nurse, or if they've had a lumpectomy, you know, some can nurse afterwards. So it's, it's not a done deal, but the majority of women are grappling with the fact that, yeah, they've, they've removed their breasts, so they will not be able to nurse. They've harvested their eggs, but they might not be able to carry a baby. Maybe that's somebody else. So, so that's- Sexy, you know, sexy. And then we talk about like just even just sex being very different. What patterns do you focus on using? You've said knit fabrics, they're things that you gravitate to now. And relaxed styles, are they the other things that you focus on now? Yes. And and because it's kind of trendy too, because it's trending, you know, maybe this is a great time for me to go through my breast cancer because it's just, yeah, all these loose styles have been great. So the wovens too, but you know, because I, I felt so uncomfortable for so long, just having a, a nice feeling fabric on me, like a cotton or a linen or a silk just feels good. Even wool, just warm and cozy. 
I do have my synthetic fabrics that I will use. And a lot of knits have synthetic materials in them, but they're forgiving. And as long as it feels good. So that's the message really. Yeah. yeah. As long as you feel good, then you will feel your sexy. Feeling good, feeling comfortable, feeling yourself, even 95% of who you were. That's amazing. Yeah. If I can do that, I think I just have a lot of relief just getting those implants removed, even though it was a very healing experience to have them in. And I can't discount that because a lot of plastic surgeons will say, well, you will heal a lot if you do have a reconstruction. For some people, that's not the case. You know, they, they come in saying, I just want to be flat. And that's what I know I want to do. And some, you know, they choose to be flat because they don't want to have to deal with other things or they have medical issues, whatever. And, but they have to, it's a longer process. It's a longer process to accept, but the implants themselves, it was the strangest, most incredible healing I've ever had. I can only liken it to the fact that I had my son two and a half months prematurely, and I never had another kid after that just because my uterus is not good at carrying kids. So that was fine. You know, I was planning, I was like, okay, well, we can just adopt if we ever need to, you know, one was just great. But uh, for me, there was a lot of grief every birthday, every hospital visit, because, you know, preemies have a lot of complications and he's had many Mm -hmm. surgeries himself too. He's had more surgeries than me. It's been a process. It's a, it's going to be a lifelong process for me to feel at peace with that. And I feel much more at peace now than I did when he was born, but that's taken me like 16 years so far. He's 16 and I still feel grief, but I feel more at peace. So when I would ask parents who've had premature babies who've had a second one and they were full term or, or born healthy versus one that was, was whisked into the NICU. They've all said, oh my God, it's the most incredibly heat experience ever. And they're just like, it just put everything into perspective. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. You know, well, I was, it was not going to be my choice because I knew I'd have another preemie. So it's was like, I was done. I was going to do the long road, the long road to healing. But they all would just kind of like, just kind of collapse on the chair and just be like, oh, it was so healing. Every time a, a preemie parent had a full term or a healthy baby afterwards, I'd say, so what did it feel like? What did it feel like? And they'd all say the same thing. For me, that was exactly what the breast implants did. It was so strange. It was awesome. They just slowly unwrapped the gauze and I got to see these breasts on me. And it was like this weight that I didn't even know that was on my shoulders just Mm. flew away like butterflies. And it just, this weight that I, I didn't even realize I had because one of the choices that I thought about was going flat, but I was like, all right, let's just do boobs. It was an awesome experience. And so it was easy for me to pivot and be like, you know what? I'm going flat now. And I do feel fine with that choice. I accept it. Um, I've been healed. (laughs) It just took surgeries to get there, which is horrible. And some women, because of health complications, it's a one and done deal. And that's it. So I don't know if you have any other questions for me, Maria. (laughs) No, I have none other than. Thank you so much, Denise, for sharing with us your breast cancer journey. This episode of Soul Organized Style Podcast for Soul Over 50 was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of Denise Archer, soundbybensound.com. This podcast is not medical advice. If you want information about breast cancer treatments or post-surgery choices, contact your oncologist or go to the breast cancer organizations in your country. In the next Over 50 podcast, Tina will talk us through 
her breast cancer experience, why she chose to keep one breast, and the patterns she now has discovered to make her feel more confident with her new life. You can subscribe to Selganized Style Podcast, but with an S not a Z on all good podcast apps. Please give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to our podcast and become a supporter on our Patreon account. There are over 270 free podcasts and your support is greatly appreciated. Post any questions or suggestions you have on our Instagram account at Style, or on our website at www.soulorganisedstyle.com or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.